I am a woman. Yesterday, I attended the women's breakfast, and today I am wearing a dress, just to prove it. And so I am most definitely, undeniably, a woman. <coughs> I am a daughter of God. I am a woman, and I am a son. That is, when I read in Scripture that God is giving his children the rights of a son, the inheritance of a son, that goes beyond gender in our new covenant relationship with God, and that includes me. Um, and I think that's really helpful, so that when I read that, I have to do that translation in my head to know that um, it includes me. It doesn't mean that I switch bits. It just means that, uh, I, that the sonship of, uh, that God is talking about is representative of a lavish and a complete and an unconditional love and inheritance, whereas daughters used to inherit in part or conditionally. So I have to do that little translation. And our gospel passage of, um, uh, we, we also have to do this translation when we talk about the bride of Christ. You gentlemen and those of us who are unmarried, we need to do this translation to know that we are also included as the bride of Christ. And so I just wanted to, I know you know this, but I just wanted to make that perfectly clear at the beginning. And it's interesting that in our gospel passage of the wise and foolish bridesmaids, uh, there is a parallel to the previous um, parable in Matthew's gospel, which is the wise and foolish slaves. So this is Matthew balancing out the gender dynamic of men need to be wise and attentive to the return of the Lord, and women need to be wise and attentive to the return of the Lord. That there is no difference in encounter with the Lord based on your gender. Are you with me so far? Just let's get that groundwork done. Um, so I just wanted us to, to be able to translate that. So gentlemen, you just are the bride. Welcome, you're looking beautiful. Bride of Christ, I like it. Um, and... So tonight I'm talking, I'm continuing on in this series of looking at Jesus from these different angles. And with the overarched theme of our sermon series is Jesus saying to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we've looked at Jesus as our servant and Jesus as our Lord. And tonight we're looking at Jesus as our bridegroom. And... Yeah. But our Bible passages today refer to Jesus as the bridegroom, but there's very little description in them of his bridegroomliness, as it were. Seeing um, as this sermon, we need to focus on that. We need to try and unpick what these passages do tell us about Jesus as our bridegroom. We know that from the, first, from the, the gospel passage that David wrote, that there's an element of homecoming, reuniting in Jesus as our bridegroom. We've got the brides in, in the, um, the first century Jewish culture, 
Um, weddings were a very joyous celebratory occasion, as they are today, and they would last for days. And in fact, in Judges, it says they would last for seven days. And this part of the parable picks up where the bridegroom has been processing from the bride's home back to the groom's house, and the guests are waiting to go in with him to this wedding banquet, this sort of culmination of this um, week-long wedding ceremony. And so we know that there's something about the bridegroom that, is, that involves a homecoming, a, a, a homeliness with him, a united at home with him. And in Revelation, the bridegroom is depicted as a lamb that has been slain, but who is now alive. And if you've just heard this for the first time, I don't know if there are any people here sort of exploring whether or not to become a Christian, um, then that will sound pretty weird, won't it? But, um, because who wants to marry uh, a lamb, a resurrected lamb that has been slaughtered? I mean, it's not on my, it's not on my list of uh, ideal spouse characteristics. <laughs> but we have to remember that this is symbolic, of course. We've heard how the Son of God left the realms of glory to humble himself, to be our servant, so obedient to God that he was led like a lamb to to be slaughtered on the cross, to be a perfect sacrifice for our sin. It's an image of purity, humility and surrender. His obedient servanthood was so perfect that God raised him up to be seated on the throne in the heavenly realms, to be glorified with the name above every name, Lord of Lords. Perfectly glorious. The image of the Lamb was slain on the throne, that was was slain on the throne, reminds us that our bridegroom, is not some flimsy romantic Casanova, but our servant Lord. It is an image of love's victory. This is who our bridegroom is. So our bridegroom is revealed to us in the context of a glorious homecoming and in his victorious state. Victorious, but not new. The relationship of God as bridegroom, as husband to his people, is not some newfangled Jesus thing. God doesn't change. God has never changed. He has always yearned to relate to his people like a husband relates to a wife. God as a husband is described in the Old Testament lots of times as one who is faithful in love and who pursues his bride, Israel. Despite her unfaithfulness and her idolatry, her turning to other idols, um, he pursues her faithfully and keeps calling her back, his unfaithful bride, yearning to be reunited with her. What's new is that you and I, the heathen Gentiles, have been spliced into this marriage relationship between God and his people. God hasn't changed, 
but we've come to know him as bridegroom through Jesus. Our divine, holy bridegroom pursues us. He pursues us corporately as one bride and individually. He protects us from our enemies like a mighty victorious Lord. He loves us so much that he willingly, self-sacrificially serves our needs. He guides us and provides for us. Our bridegroom is holy, pure, almighty love, and he calls us to holy intimacy with him. He wants to love us in holy intimacy. That was the phrase that God really wanted you to hear tonight. He wants us to know the holy intimacy of his love. You see, Jesus as servant and Lord are beautiful representations of Jesus. But we could very easily think of him in these ways whilst keeping him slightly at arm's length. When we know Jesus as our bridegroom, there is a closeness in our heart, an intimacy that is more profound and powerful than any other earthly relationship could ever come close to. Sorry, I'm recovering from laryngitis and so Knowing Jesus as our bridegroom um, is quite a difficult way to um, describe knowing God. And so that is why we are blessed uh, with earthly marriage as a prophetic reflection of this relationship between Jesus the bridegroom and us the bride. And in that image... Earthly husbands, whilst remaining the bride of Christ, gentlemen, they still they represent the Lamb, the servant Lord, the bridegroom who loves, cherishes, and serves his bride. Whilst wives, remaining the bride of Christ, are there to encourage the rest of the bride of Christ to love, honour, and obey their bridegroom through their example in marriage. It's a, that's the beautiful theory, at least. And sometimes it works. Earthly marriage is, um, is a magnificent reflection of what God is doing in the spiritual realm, of what God is offering us for eternity. And I sometimes think that earthly marriage is a bit like uh, the moon, in that um, its design and its call are to reflect the glory of the marriage in heaven. We need marriages in the church to be a constant reminder and a model for this dynamic of this heavenly relationship. So pray for married couples. It's a challenging calling to represent this relationship in a way that glorifies God's design and God's heart. But I would only be sharing half of this prophetic picture of this relationship if I only spoke of marriage. 
It's common for preachers to only speak of marriage when they're talking about the bridegroom and his bride. And I'm sorry, on behalf of preachers, if that's the only angle you have heard over the years. It's half the story, half the picture. Marriage is a prophetic act of what is to come when Jesus returns. The marriage between Jesus and the bridegroom and his bride, the church, will be the consummation of Jesus' victory, the consummation, the, the fulfillment of his ministry. Once he has returned, there will be a new heaven and a new earth And we will live in holy intimacy with God because there will be no more sin or evil present. Then, there will be no marriage or giving in marriage. Then, you see, we won't need it as a sign anymore because we will have arrived at our destination. We won't need the moon to reflect the sun's light because we will no longer be living in darkness. The love of the bridegroom is all-sufficient and more exciting and glorious and deep and profound than any earthly marital relationship. We will all be single in this new earth. Singleness, therefore, is the other half of the earthly prophetic picture. We need single people in our church too to remind us of the supreme sufficiency of God's love to satisfy our needs and and his supreme worth to be loved and devoted to exclusively. The calling of singleness is uniquely tailored to communicate this message. It reminds us that we will be individuals within one body who approach God, not couples, but individuals facing him in the new earth. For those of you who are enjoying your earthly marriage, don't despair. Enjoy it knowing that there is something infinitely more awesome and fulfilling on the horizon, and there is someone who can love your spouse better than you can ever imagine you will. I remember when I was in my early 20s, and I was quite a new Christian, and I was out walking with Jesus one day, and as we walked, I started praying for a husband, that he would provide a husband for me. And Jesus said to me, gently and lovingly, am I not enough for you? And it was one of those uncomfortable moments when you know what the right answer should be, but you just don't feel it. And so I told him I'd have to think about it. (laughs) Got to be honest and have integrity, haven't you? And as we walked on, I thought about it weighing up or bringing into the light, uh, into the presence of Jesus' light, all the various milestones and aspects of married life. And as I brought them into his presence, it was like they shot into a different perspective. And by the end of our walk, I could confidently and joyfully look Jesus in the face 
and know that he is enough for me. His love, you see, is better than life itself. Do you know that? Like, really know that deep down? That his love, and this is scriptural, his love is better than life itself. So I encourage you, pray for single people as well. It's a high calling to faithfully represent this relationship in a way that glorifies God's design. We need each other, married and single people alike, to have some sense of the holy intimacy of Jesus as our bridegroom. Both callings are temporary signs of an eternal truth. Both are needed to help us keep in perspective what life is really all about. That is, knowing and enjoying God's love in all his fullness. We need each other, married and single alike, to have some sense of the holy intimacy of Jesus as our bridegroom. Marriage and singleness hint at the now and the not yet of our relationship with Jesus as our bridegroom. God doesn't change. Jesus is our bridegroom now, and we will fully come to know him as our bridegroom at the homecoming wedding banquet of the Lamb. Marriage and singleness on earth also remind us that this is a corporate family bride, the whole church as one body. It is the church who must make herself ready for the wedding, together, corporately. We need to pray for unity. We need each other. But it is also personal and individual. Each one of us needs to respond to Jesus personally. And he offers the relationship of a bridegroom to each of us individually. Like those bridesmaids waiting for the wedding banquet, they each had to take responsibility for being prepared, of having enough oil in their lamps to wait for the unknown hour that he would come. We, all, we can't predict when he will come, but we can anticipate it and constantly be responding and readying ourselves for him. So the question is, what is Jesus like as our bridegroom now? How could we recognize him in our lives now? And how do we relate to him now as our bridegroom. If Jesus were to look us in the heart and ask, who do you say that I am? Would we have the assurance to say from our heart, Jesus, you are my bridegroom? I think one thing that might help is to read the Bible with the eyes of a bride and just hear that 
yearning of a husband uh, that is speaking through scripture, calling us to a holy intimacy with him. And I have been um, deliberating whether or not to share with you a picture as of personal testimony um, when I have encountered him. And um, I've really struggled. I'm going to do it. But um, it's really precious to me. And I've only ever told, this happened about 10 years ago, and I think I've only told one or maybe two people this testimony in my life. And so I am going to offer it, but it's so uh, precious to me and so intimate that I ask you to be gentle and not trample on it. And I'm going to ask you, you can repeat anything I say in any tone, but I'm going to ask you not to repeat this testimony. This is just between you and me. And if people didn't turn up at church today, it's their tough luck. And that's my motivation for going on retreat. I go on holiday with my bridegroom and no one else. And although it may seem weird, most weeks I have a lunch date with Jesus. Most married people will talk about the need for having date nights to invest in their marriage and to keep their marriage alive and yet marriage is temporary it's beautiful, it's important we need to honour and pray for it but it's temporary how much more important to have a date night with your eternal bridegroom and so Jesus and I uh, have a lunch date most weeks just to waste time. And like other dates, I understand uh, we have rules, so we're not allowed to talk about you. And um, we just talk about um, what's on our heart and how much we love one another, what we like about one another. But it's not about work or doing, it's just wasting time with the most important person in my life, of developing the most intimate relationship of my life. Thank you for being gentle. And... um, I do ask you to, it's taken quite a lot of courage to share that, and so I really do ask you to honour that and not to talk about this. Like, if somebody doesn't, hasn't heard it, could you ask them to come and ask me? I will gladly share it, but um, yeah, it's just too tender to be spoken of secondhand. Before I finish, um, I want us to um, address what I think are a couple of barriers 
to knowing Jesus as our bridegroom. But I'm just going to give you a moment whilst I sort myself out to just ponder and reflect um, how you might waste time with your bridegroom. It will look different for each of us. So perhaps we'll just pause for a moment and just say, Spirit of the Lord, Jesus, would you, you're calling each person here to a relationship of holy intimacy with you. Jesus, would you just show each of us how we can waste time with you?